um, there, there, this, this is a heavy doctrinal uh, area. Uh, it, it, it deals with some doctrines that are somewhat, uh, somewhat difficult uh, as, we, as we move through it. Um, but it's, it, talks, it talks here a lot about, uh, about Jesus and his interaction with us and God and how he, he put these things together. And uh, uh, I, I just find it uh, an, inc- an incredibly uh, uplifting uh, but also, also daunting um, uh, section uh, of the text. Uh, he, uh, he he talks about the privileges that are afforded those who follow Jesus, but then he talks about the destiny of those who reject. Uh, so those contrasts uh, flow through this th- uh, flow through this uh, this particular text. So in just a little bit here, we'll we'll get to that. And before we do, do we have any prayer requests this morning, other than Donna and the whole punch? (laughs) She was fixing my paper. (laughs) Well, Alyssa uh, is up there uh, in Crescent City, and uh, she's supposed to start rehab tomorrow, and uh, she is sleeping most of the time, which is good. So be praying for her. Okay. And, and Pastor Roger from Valley Baptist is coming home, I think, today. And they've got his treatment work, so he can take it near Bakersfield. Mm, okay, good. Anything else this morning? Nate, would you would you open us, please? Lord God, thank you for this day that you have made. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come before your throne and that you would even hear our prayers. Lord, thank you for being so merciful to save those who would put their faith in you. Lord, before the foundations of the earth, you have set aside those who would have faith, Lord, and and thank you for that that grace that you've extended. As we look at this section of 2 Peter this morning, where we look at the contrast, Lord, between those who would reject you, who would reject that grace and those who would be saved, Lord. It, it makes us realize how grateful we ought to be to you, Lord, for your mercy upon our lives. Lord, let that propel us towards obedience to you, to um, to love your word and do your word, and to love those around us, Lord. We lift up in prayer to, to you all those prayers that were mentioned, and to pray for your mercy and those situations, Lord, and that uh, we understand your sovereignty, that all things work for our good and for your glory, Lord, and we trust that even in these tough things. And Lord, we just pray that we would have faith and trust in you through those trials as we know they bring us closer to you. Lord, um, we pray for this time as we look in your word. We pray for the preaching to be true and for the hearts to be receptive to truth so we might apply that truth. Lord, we love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, you pretty well summarized the text, so we can go home now. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, so we begin. Uh, we're going to look at verses 4 through 6, and uh, uh, beginning in verse 4. And coming to him as to living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay 
In Zion, a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes upon him will not be put to shame. So we're going to be, we're going to stop there and look at this first about chosen and built up. He says, first of all, he says, and coming. This word coming uh, is a word that's uh, not just well. He's coming here. This is an intensified coming. It uh, it has a it has a a, a, a prefix that uh, that makes it intensified. It's the idea of coming and remaining. That's 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 the the context of this word. So he's basically saying he's saying and coming to him and coming and staying right there is 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 the idea uh, that that this text begin that this text begins with coming to him and of course the him is Jesus. Verse three speaks speaks uh, to that fact. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, that's the idea here. Now coming to Him and coming and staying with Him is uh, is uh, is the idea that's being expressed here. Some commentators contend that uh, uh, not all. There's debate on this because it's not an exact quote, and and Peter doesn't doesn't say that it is. But some commentators refer think this refers to Psalms 34:5 uh, in the ESV. It says they looked to him and were uh, and were radiant in the LXX, which is what they they tend to hold that that uh, that uh, Peter is talking about. It says coming to him and being enlightened. But that's the idea here. The idea is being attached to, staying with, held to by Jesus Christ. That's 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 what it's, it's saying. And, and it's the idea that coming to him is continuous. That's also the idea here. Uh, the idea here is this is a this is a continuing idea. Faith is not a one time act. You don't just believe and then you go on your merry little way. It's you continue to believe and we continue to come is the idea. Uh, we're 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 tied to him in a sense. And he, and he says to them, he says, coming to him as to a living stone. And here comes the paradox. Rocks are not living. They're inanimate. Uh, they're just there in the dirt. Um, you know, now Michael can probably explain that better to you because he's a geologist. But but uh, uh, all I know is, you know, they're they're good for throwing, you know, <laughs> and, and, stumbling. and stumbling over. And uh, and and we, we bought a house when I got back from the military in Thousand Oaks, actually it was in Newberry Park and it was back in those days they didn't put any lawns or anything and you had, you got to do that and and I was young then so it was no big deal but it was because overnight rocks grew in the yard. I would carry out wheelbarrow loads of rocks every for weeks we carried out wheelbarrow loads of rocks uh, uh, but, but that's what he's saying the, the, those rocks were not living, they didn't get up and walk away you know, although they did reproduce, I don't. I just don't, still don't understand that. Uh, but anyway, anyway, this is, it's a paradox because he says they're they're living stones. It's kind of an oxymoron. The two don't go together. It's kind of like when we were in the military. Our major major oxymoron was the words military intelligence. Mm-hmm. You know, that was just that was just the uh, that was just the idea. The words don't seem to go together. These stones are an, inobj- are an inanimate object without life, but Peter calls them living stones. So he's using it figuratively. Peter is going to use this same 
this same idea in Acts 4.11. It comes out of Psalms uh, 118.22 and Isaiah 8.14.28.16 and Romans 9.33. In all those places, we find this idea. We're going to look at a couple of those. Romans, excuse me, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. Then he shall become a sanctuary, but to both... But to both the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and 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 a rock to stumble over. And a snare and a trap for the inheritance of uh, for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and then in uh, Isaiah twenty eight verse oops verse uh, verse sixteen. Therefore, thus says Lord Yahweh: Behold, I'm in lay, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He believes in it will not be disturbed. And that's what that's what Peter is 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 saying here. He's saying he's saying we're coming to him as a living stone. That's the idea here, uh, that he is that foundation rock that uh, Isaiah spoke of. Uh, the living qualifies this stone, and incidentally, this is not not Peter's name, uh, Petro, Petra or Petros, uh, meaning rock. It's lithos, which speaks of a building stone, a stone that's been hewn, that's been carved, that's set to be used for construction work. That's the that's the word that he's using here, and he goes on. Uh, living is a word that uh, is very often used in association with Jesus. In Matthew sixteen sixteen, uh, Peter in his confession says that Jesus is the Son of the Living God. In to the Samaritan woman in John four ten and eleven, he, he speaks of living water, and he of course is that living water. In in John six fifty one, he is. Living bread. These are ideas that flow throughout Scripture in association with Him in in various metaphor forms. Obviously, bread doesn't live, water doesn't live, and uh, God does. <laughs> but uh, all in all of those cases, it's referred to as living. Here, it's a living stone, and Jesus uh, is also the giver of life. John chapter ten, verse twenty-eight. Uh, well, let's back up a little bit. Uh, Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish uh, uh, ever. And not one of them will be snatched from my hand. My father who has given to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the uh, out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. And if anybody tries to tell you that Jesus never claimed he was God, that's the passage that says so, because the next verse says the Jews picked up stones stone him because he claimed to be equal to God or he claimed to be God. So uh, anyway, there is there is the idea here that he's he is he is that living stone. He is that rock bed, that hewn stone on which all is built. That's that's the idea that is going to that is going to permeate throughout this through this text. He goes on and he says he says he's the living stone which has been rejected by men. That's that's the next thing he says. It says, men rejected him. Uh, This picture is going to run through this text. We're going to run into it again. But it basically is a picture of a stone that's been cut uh, to be used in construction. And the, the builders look at the stone and they go, no, this won't fit. So they throw it away. 
That, that's the picture he's using here. That's the idea. This stone doesn't fit the construction project we're building, so we're going to throw it out of the way. Well, that's exactly what the Jewish leadership did. That's exactly how they viewed. Jesus didn't meet the parameters to be the Messiah they wanted. The important factor is here, the Messiah they wanted, not not that he wasn't the Messiah. Uh, They wanted someone to overthrow Rome right then and there. They didn't believe they had any necessity for someone to redeem them because they didn't see themselves as sinners. Uh, They somehow saw there were various views, but some of the views are something like this. I'm a son of Abraham, therefore... I am saved. I am God's. I am okay. I don't have any need of salvation. Uh, you know, that, that whole concept, the fact that I'm an Israelite, protects me. Uh, my, national, uh, my nationality saves me. Others thought, it's we keep the law. We do all of these things. And incidentally, they had added hundreds of items to the law that weren't in the law. They made a work system out of Judaism. And because we do all these things, therefore God must accept us. Understand when you're saying that, you're saying God owes me. Don't go there. Don't ever go there. God doesn't owe you. God owes you eternity in hell. That's all he owes you. Understand that. And, and, he, says, and he says here, but they were reje- he was rejected by, man, by men. However, in contrast, in contrast to what men thought of him, he, said, he, he goes on to say, but his choice and precious in the sight of God. He says he is choice and he is precious in the sight of God. We have two things here that, that are in contrast. We have, we have a contrast of those who reject and the fact that he is chosen. And we have what men think and what God thinks. Those are the contrasts that he, he brings out here. Unbelieving man who rejected Jesus and continues to do so, and, and, and then he continues to do so. But here it says that in the sight of God, Jesus is chosen. It's the same word for elect. It's, it's that word. It's, it's the word of election. Uh, he's chosen. He's elect. It's the same as used in chapter 1, verse 2, in 2, 9, and in Colossians 3, 27. I think in your text it says, I don't know how I managed to do this, but I typed in 3, 3, I think it was... Uh, Three, uh, 3.12. I, I don't know where I got that, but it's 3.27. At any rate, I think I, I made the, the semicolon into a one and thought that was right. But anyway. Huh? No, he means Colossians 3.12 is supposed to be 3.27. I know, there's no Colossians 3.27. I know, that's what I just said. I made a mistake. I'm trying to correct my mistake. <laughs> it should be 3.27. Anyway, uh, this this word is used 23 times in the New Testament, and it's always translated chosen or elect. It means by God's choice. Guy, by God's elect, sovereign election. That's the idea here. And that's what he's saying here. He says that, first of all, that Jesus is elect. Uh, God specifically chose this plan. That's, that's the idea. He put his signature on it, if you will. And then he goes on and he says, he says, and he is precious. This word means costly. It means to be, uh, it, it means to be rare. It means to be highly 
pri- uh, prize. That's the idea here. Uh, this is something that is treasured. That's, 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 that's the idea here. God chose this plan. He chose this to be executed through Jesus. And to God, His Son is absolutely precious. He's of immense value. That's, that's what He's trying to say here. And the idea of the doctrine of election runs through Peter. Uh, he uses, he, he refers to it over and over again. He began the whole text of 1 Peter by saying simply this, that he, he, he gives in chapter 1 a list of all the places that he's sending this letter to, and he says of them, who are chosen, same word. And then he goes on to say, he said that, that and they were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. And he says that they were blessed to be born again through the resurrection from the dead, to have inherited an inheritance that is kept for them in heaven. That, that's the idea here. And, and Jesus, in the same way, and at the same time, the whole plan of salvation was put into effect before the world ever was. Before, before there ever was any creation. Uh, that's, that's the idea that is being expressed that runs through here, the doctrine of election. Uh, and, he, and he basically share, it basically, it, basically the idea then is we share in that election, those who have been called according to his name, and share in that election. And then he goes on to verse 5. And verse 5 has the main verb of this text. It says, he says, you also as living stones are being built up. That's the verb. Built, being built. As a spiritual house, as a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he says, he says here, you are being built up. It understands here that God is the one doing the building. He's building believers into a spiritual house. It sees God as the agent behind the building. That's, that's the idea here. And it, and it goes on, and, and then we have 1 Timothy 3.15, which tells us that in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. I think you heard that verse forever uh, around here for a while. It was on the walls and everything. Well, in the other, other building. But anyway, uh, that's, that's the idea here. That's the idea. God is building us into a household. It speaks of the family of God. Of which we are all a part. That's that's what he's saying here. And he says he says it's what he's what he is what he is doing in this illustration is to the Jews the temple was a building, it was made of stones, and they were laid one on top of another, and it was made into a place that you went into. Now, what he's saying here is. That's no longer the place God meets man. It's not in a stone temple in Jerusalem, because in 70 AD, a guy named Titus Epiphany and his Roman legions took that temple to the ground and burned it. And when they discovered when they discovered all the gold that had melted down into the rocks, they pulled all the rocks apart to get the gold. That temple doesn't exist. It's gone. It's been gone. It's been gone for 2,000 years now, more or less. Judaism has been gone for 2,000 years. Oh, yes, there are still Jewish people, and they still do a worship, but it's not Judaism. 
There's no sacrifice system. There is no high priest. There is no temple. Therefore, there is no Judaism. That's that's the bottom line. What he is saying here is God no longer meets man in that stone temple. He meets it in the living stone temple, you and me. The church is the temple of God in the sense that we have been built up into a household in which God by His Spirit has taken residence. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's that's the idea here. He says, it's no longer a building of, of inanimate rocks, but it's living stones, the people of God, the sons of the living God. Those of whom the Spirit indwells. Yeah. John, then if in, in that first part where he's referring to Christ as the li- a living stone, which has been rejected, and you said there was a particular word that has to do with the building mm-hmm. stone as opposed Lithos. to the like Peter. Yeah. So what when it's calls when he calls us living stones, is that the same stone? Yeah. Okay. It's a construction stone, is a lithos. Okay. Thank you. So the church then is made up of of individuals, not rocks. That's 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 the that's the idea here. That's the idea here. It's a figurative picture of the living temple of God, the church of Jesus Christ, being built up as a spiritual house. And then what he does is he speaks about the worship of this spiritual household. And he gives he gives three uh, three four I can't count four. He gives four uh, uh, expanding views of that worship. He first of all says he calls us living stones. Uh, we're described as uh, the people of God are described as living stones. In other words, Christ, the living stone, the cornerstone, the, the foundation of the whole building, gives life. He is the life giver to, to all of us. That's where we receive life. And he's, he is saying, spiritual life, that is. And he is saying, he's saying we, are, we have become the building blocks of that temple, ultimately. That's, that's how this phrase is being used. And we move, uh, we move from being the individual building blocks of that temple into being the spiritual house, the temple, in which God resides. And we're not, we're, we are individual members, but we are now a household built up in Him, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 through 22. So then, you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built up, same idea, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together is growing into a holy sanctuary of God, in whom you also are being built together into the dwelling of God in, in the Spirit. And there's the wholeness, of, there's the whole idea of the household. It's being built by God. The individual members are brought together. The individual living stones are built into the spiritual household in which God takes up residence. And it and it and it goes on it goes on to explain that it was built on the foundation of the of the apostles with Jesus being the chief corner. In other words, the idea is that foundational stone was laid and from that the foundation was built. 
It's that stone that all the angles, that all the all the trajectory of the building are laid out. And he's saying that's that's how it happened. And from that, the individual members are being added to that building. And from being, it, it expresses the idea that the church is a community of believers. That's the idea. We are all in this together. That's 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 the point. And then he goes on from that, and he says he says. He says, and to that sanctuary, there is a holy priesthood. It's using much of the metaphor of the Old Testament here. Uh, he, 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 this is the doctrine of the priesthood of the believers. Uh, unlike Israel, which had one high priest and a family of sub-priests, I guess you could call them that. That's probably not a good term. But at any rate, of, of priests as well, under the high priest. Uh, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ is a building that is built where everyone is a priest. And what this literally means is we all have access. That's what it's talking about. In, in old Israel, in the, under the Jewish system, the high priest on one day, at one time, could enter the presence of God. You can do it any moment. Therefore, you're a priest. That's, that's the point here. Uh, that the whole family of God has access to the throne room of God. The Hebrew says we can come boldly before the throne of the living God. That's, that's the idea here. That's what he's saying. He says, he says, he says that this priesthood has that, that idea. And he, and, the, and he uses the word holy, which in this instance means dedicated or separated. That we have been separated unto God. This is positional sanctification. You have been separated unto God. That's that's the that's the point that he's talking about here. You're dedicated to God. You're a holy priest before God. <clears throat> Incidentally, this destroys the concept of any special class of believers. Uh, there is no priest over us. Other than Jesus Christ, he is our high priest. But other than that, there is no priest over us. There is no order of priests that have special access who can do certain things that you and I are not able to do on our own. Yes, we have leadership. We have, we have elders who, who, are, who are given the task of leading us. But they, too, are members and fellow members of the priesthood. And we are all uh, we are all bound up in that same task of coming before the throne of God. There's always order. There's always direction. There's always leadership. Uh, but there is no one who then, other than Jesus Christ, who represents us before God. We have direct access. We have a priesthood. That's the idea here. And as a priesthood... Then we have a duty, and the duty of the priest was to offer the sacrifice. And that's the next thing he says in this, in this worship, is that we, we offer spiritual sacrifices, not animal sacrifices. Roman, or excuse me, Hebrews 9, 28, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. That's no longer the problem. The pro- now what is being offered is 
praise and thanksgiving for the redemption that Christ has provided. That's what we come to glorify our God who has saved us and given us the task of proclaiming him to a lost and dying world. That's the spiritual sacrifice he's talking about. And this sacrifice can take on a couple of roles. And I just, uh, this is probably uh, limited and not extensive, but, and it's not meant to be, but Hebrews 3.10, one of the, one of the sacrifices we bring is the sacrifice of praise. We praise him. We come together to praise him. We praise him in our private time, in our private prayers. He, He says in Hebrews, Verse 3.10, let, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that he is the, um, that is the fruit of our lips that confesses his name. That's, that's part of the sacrifices we are to bring. Uh, that's to be a continual sacrifice before God. As a priest, you bring that. Secondly, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, secondly, a priest is to, is to, is to reflect God's holiness. That's the other thing. We are to be a reflection of the God who has called us. That's, that's the idea here. And he told us already in Hebrews 1.16, you should be holy for I am holy. That's part of the idea. We talked about that back a few weeks ago. I, I think I said we're to have a, a family resemblance. Uh, we're to look like the family we're a part of. Uh, that's the idea uh, of that text. We are to we are to reflect our God, and then thirdly, we are to give sacrifices in thankful service. Romans twelve one. Present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, pleasing to God, which is your spirit, uh, which is your spiritual service of worship. That's the other side of it. Is we serve Him then. We we do the things he has called us to do and placed us to do. We don't do those things to be saved. We do those because we are saved, and we do it in thanksgiving for that salvation, uh, and not to earn it because you can't. Uh, that's that's the idea here. That's that's what he's wanting us to understand as we look at this picture. He, he's saying he's saying you're a holy priesthood. And you're to offer up spiritual sacrifices. You're a spiritual household in which the high priests are to come that has been built together by all of us as living stones. There's an equality in all of that. All of us share in that priesthood. All of us are a part of it. And then he goes on. He goes on from there in verse 6. And he says, he says, for this is contained in Scripture. And there's the, there's the, there's the, here, here he is laying the evidence for what he's saying. He's saying, the Scriptures, the graphe, the Old Testament text, you understand in Peter's day, they were still writing the New Testament. The primary text that they had to work from was the Old Testament. And those things that had been already written in the New Testament, which are, were not well distributed at this juncture. Some of them were. Peter's going to make reference to Paul's writings. Uh, but uh, but uh, he references the Old Testament. He gives the evidence for what he is saying from the Old Testament. And, and he basically quotes Isaiah 28.16. He says, Behold, I lay... A zone, uh, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. And of course, this cornerstone is, is, is Jesus. And he's, Zion refers to Jerusalem. 
Peter is uh, used uh, in verses 4 and 5, the words of Isaiah 28, 16, and Psalms 18, 22, uh, in the par- which, is, which is important because here's the thing. In the, in, in the text of Scripture and in the words of Jesus, Psalms 118, 22 is used in the parable of the tenants where Jesus applies it to himself. He's saying, I am that cornerstone. I am that one laid in Zion. That's, that's what he's saying in that text. In Romans 9.33, Paul quotes Isaiah 28.16 in the discussion of Israel's unbelief, making the point that Jesus is the one that was rejected. He was the stone in Zion. Uh, that's, that's what he's, he's doing here. The evidence he's given is Jesus, the one you crucified, is that stone. He's the one who was laid, the cornerstone that was laid in Zion. And then he goes on, a cornerstone, and we've already kind of talked about this, the cornerstone that sets, that sets the whole focus of the, of the building. It's, it's from the cornerstone that everything is laid out. You know, if you've ever built anything... You got to have a starting point, uh, and you got to have some levels and some 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 lines to build from. Otherwise, you're not going to build a very good building. You know, it's probably going to be leaning or falling over, or it may be three feet wide on one end and eight feet wide on the other, and you intended it to be five feet on both ends. You know, that's that's the idea. Well, the cornerstone is that reference point. The cornerstone is that point from which the building is laid out. Here's where the angles go out from. Here's where all the foundation proceeds from. Here is the direction all of this stuff takes. It's how you mark it all out. And it's, it's on this cornerstone that the rest of the building rests. It's, it's the primary uh, strength point for that building, Ephesians 2.20. He... Uh, <clears throat> Where he says, he says, he who believes on him will not be put to shame because he lays the building straight. That's that's the idea that he's that he's trying to to use with this metaphor. Uh, He says, he says, he, he goes on to say, he goes on to say, behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes on him will not be put to shame. He who believes on him will not be put to shame. Uh, this is the idea, uh, the NASB has it, will not be disappointed. It has the idea, uh, the, the word itself has the idea of, uh, of, uh, uh, of, of losing confidence or, or of, of, uh, of having your hopes dashed. It says that won't happen with Jesus. Uh, you won't lose confidence in him. He won't dash your hopes. Uh, they, will, they will come about. Now, he may not do things the way you want him to. But that doesn't mean your hopes are dashed. That doesn't mean your salvation can be lost. That doesn't mean that he will fail. It means he will succeed in the task he planned. You kind of have to keep in mind that we're not the sovereign. He is. So he may not do it your way, but there's no reason to despair. Uh, He will not put you to shame. Here, those who trust in Jesus never decrease in hope of their security. Romans 8.16 
The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And I go my one of my favorite chapters in, in Scripture is chapter 10 of John because it is all about security. Mm-hmm. And when you go through that chapter, it is completely about security. Chapter 10, verses 3 through 4, verse 14, 7 through 28, we already looked at that where we're held in the hand of Jesus. You know, did you ever think about this? I, I read this somewhere. It says, we're held in the hand of Jesus, we're held in the hand of the Father, and we're held in the hand of Jesus, and we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8. It says, now, to lose your salvation, it means that, that Satan must break the seal of the Holy Spirit, trample through the blood of Jesus Christ, and unloose his fingers from you, and break the hold of God. That's what it takes for you to lose your salvation. Is that possible? No. Well, that's John chapter 10. I found this quote in MacArthur's commentary. I thought it was pretty good. He was talking about the, uh, the believer's security, and he says this, No one is ever, speaking of the stone that is laid in Zion, he says, No one is ever out of alignment. No one ever falls from the structure. It all fits exactly and permanently together, Ephesians 4.16. So here's the analogy that, is, that fittingly illustrates a believer's security. You can't fall off the building. You're, nothing will collapse. That's the idea. And then in verses 7 and 8, it talks about rejected and destined Verse 7, this precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they are disobedient to the word, and to this stumbling they were also appointed. So he says, Paul now contrasts those who believe with those who reject. And he says, this precious value, and it's the same word that you, it's actually, excuse me, it's not the same word that's used in the other text. Uh, this one is a word that means honor or respect rather than, rather than costly. This means honor or respect. It's used in 3.7 where he says, where he tells Husbands, they're to honor their wives. It's the same word. It's the very same word. It's used in Second Peter, chapter one, verse seventeen. And when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as it was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Honor there is the same word. When God, when God, when the, when at, at Jesus' baptism, when he identified Jesus as the one and his, who is his son and he is well believed, that's the honor he's talking about there. That's the level of honor this word speaks of. And that's what he's saying here. He, he's saying here, precious, honored, this honored value. That's, that's the idea. Uh, it's absolutely precious is the, is the sense that he, he wants, wants you to believe. Believers, uh, and the, the idea, the idea that flows through this, he says, this precious value then is, is for you who believe. This honor is for you who believe is, is what he's saying here. That's, that's the idea. 
He says, we are honored because Christ is precious, verses 4 and 6. Uh, because he's highly prized to him. Both words come into play here. Uh, the honor comes because he is highly prized. Two different words, Greek words, both translated precious in English. And he says, because of this preciousness, there's a preciousness afforded. Christ causes the honor, not shame, in verse 6. And we, in turn, are the ones who honor him in worship, verse 5. That's, that's the context here. Those who believe are not ashamed. They have an honored position in the household of God, and from that honored position, they honor their God. That's, 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 that's the idea that, that he wants us to understand. Unbelievers in contrast, unbelievers in contrast, reject here he's quoting Psalms 118, verse 22, using the building trade, the cutting stone, the regular size cut, cut with a hammer, chisel, sometimes saw, for, according to 1 Kings 7, 8. Uh, and, and they're basically saying to the Jewish leadership, he failed the inspection. To all those who reject him, he failed the inspection. We won't have him. We want no part of this. We want no part of this. We don't need him. I don't need that. You know, is the idea uh, that that comes with this? He, he failed the inspection, and they've therefore rejected him. And we talked about this: how this is what the Jewish leadership did, and this is what everyone who rejects Jesus does. They basically say, "I don't need him." I've told you, my brother, who in all these things, he's got all these honors, got a whole case in his living room of all these honors he's been given and awards he's been given for philanthropic work. Not one of those is going to save him, but he thinks they are. And he doesn't need, he told me, I'm not afraid of eternity. And I looked at him and thought, well, you ought to be. You know, you better be. And that's the problem. I don't need it. That's, that's what they say. And now they talk about this stone having been rejected. The unbelieving, the unbelieving builders, they threw away the cornerstone, which and literally it says the head of the corner. That's literally what the Greek says here for cornerstone. Head of the corner, which has caused some, and if you use an NIV, this is what they, they, how they translate it. They translate it capstone. Now the capstone is different from a cornerstone. A cornerstone is what the foundation is laid on. A capstone is what seals an arch. You know, when they make an arch out of stone, that one that's kind of like this, and they put in the middle that wedges it so that it won't fall down and hit you in the head? It's that one. I don't know how you trip over a stone that's in the air. You know, unless you're walking on air. Uh, but there's no need to translate it that way. It can be translated that way. Uh, but th- it's not about an arch. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the cornerstone. He's talking about that foundation stone, that primary stone. And so it needs to be translated that way, just in case you run across that. That's what they did with that. I don't know why, but they did. Uh, it's the foundation stone. Uh, that's that's the idea. The point here is they rejected and are proven wrong by God's ex, uh, exaltation of him, placing him as the head of the corner. That's what he's saying here. He's the he's that head cornerstone, the primary building block. 
That's, that's what he wants him to understand. That which upon the whole building rest and was built. And then, he, then in verse 8, he goes on and he quotes Isaiah 8.14 again. And he says, A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this stumbling they have been appointed. And he, he says, so he says this. He says, here he, he says, This rejected stone becomes to those who reject a stone of stumbling. In this case, he says, a lithos, a stone of stumbling. In other words, it's a stone sitting there on the ground. And they go diddly-bopping along, and they hit their toe on it. That, that's, that's, that's the picture here. They stumble right over it. They don't recognize what it is. And as a result of that, they stub their toe on it. And then he says, and then he goes on and he says, a rock of offense, and that's Petra. <laughs> that would be a big chunk of stone sticking up out of the ground, like bedrock is, is the idea here. And he goes, and they fall flat on it, is really the idea. They hit their foot on the cornerstone and fall on the rock. <laughs> That's ultimately what they're saying. That's what he's, he's saying. That's the picture he's given. It's a rock of offense. It's sticking up out of the ground. Um, and they, they fall against it. Luke uh, 2, 34. And as a result of that, they have become, according to, according to James 4, 4, enemies of God. Peter has a sequence here. He says that, that first of all, they don't believe. The first thing that happens is they they are unbelievers. They don't believe. They reject the stone. Secondly, they become disobedient. They don't are disobedient. Uh, they become disobedient. That's the second thing in their progression. They don't believe, so they become disobedient. And a result of their disobedience, they fall, and they fall into ruin. That, that's the that's the progression uh, that Peter that Peter gives here in this text. That's what happens to them. He says they become they they stumble. They become disobedient to the word, and to this they were appointed. Uh, those are some of the most terrifying words in Scripture. Incidentally, it says there are no, there is no hope at this point. They are destined to eternity in hell. That's, that's, that's the ultimate end here. In verses 7 and 8, all the verbs, except for the very last one in verse 8, are present tense active verbs, which means that, they, that unbelievers continue to reject and stumble. That's what it means. Throughout their lifetime, this is what they do. They continue to reject and stumble. The last verb which talks about they are also appointed, that verb is, is a, <clears throat> excuse me, is a, is, a, uh, is a past tense verb. And it basically means this is where they, this is where they are. Uh, this is where they have been established. It's the doctrine of being reprobate. Uh, one of the hard ones to deal with. It basically is a doctrine that says God in his sovereignty chose some of Adam's fallen race and the others he passed over. That's what that doctrine says. 
It doesn't say God elected them to hell. It just says he passed over them. That's, that's, that's the idea here. It basically says they, they have become appointed to stumble because of their disobedience to the word. And they therefore pay the penalty for refusing to obey and believe. Unbelief does not make one independent of God. Rather, it puts him accountable before God and therefore is appointed to eternal damnation. John, now I've got a whole list there, but John chapter 3, verse 18, verse 36, 824, 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 9, and Hebrews 3, 9, and 4, 11. In 1 Corinthians 6, 23, Paul wrote, If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. And that's the picture that, in, that finishes chapter uh, verse 8 of chapter 2. Uh, to this they are appointed. That, that's, that's, the, that's, where, that's how he comes to conclude this. Jesus Christ is the foundation stone of the church upon which all of us are built. God, by his, by his sovereign election, chose to save some of Adam's fallen race, and he has made them living stones in a living temple, living priest, where he is resident and he is worshipped. The rest of humanity is disobedient and destined to eternal damnation. That's, that's what this text teaches. It's a hard text, but it is nevertheless how the sovereign God has established things. Any comments or questions this morning? You all got quiet. I got it. Okay, you got it. Good. I figured if anybody asked me a question, it was going to be you. (laughs) I got it finally. Anyway. A lot of people stumble over this this whole doctrine. It's, a, it's probably the most difficult doctrine in all of Scripture. This final final end end here. Go ahead. So there's a doctrine of election for believers. Then for those who are not elected, what's that doctrine called? Retrobate. Retrobation. It, it, it actually is a sub sub a subtopic under election in most in most uh, systematic theologies not I mean some of them may have it as a separate category altogether but it generally it, it, it comes under it, it generally comes under the general doctrine of salvation and a subtopic of election and a sub subtopic is rep- retrobate but it's not always done that way. It depends on the author of the of the theology, how he how he put it in. How would you do it? Like if you were explaining it Well the Master's Seminary did it just the way I did it. <laughs> and I think Burkhoff did as well, which is classic reform theology, classic Calvin. So Anyway, let's close in prayer. Father God, uh, this morning we, uh, we thank you for the time we've had in this text. We thank you, we thank you for Peter. We thank you for, uh, for, for your use of him to bring us your word, that we might be built up in him, uh, that we might come to understand the fullness 
of the mercy that has been shown to us by your love and by, through your grace. That you in eternity past chose to put your love upon us and to provide grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Father, we, we, we then in response to that wish to serve you and to honor you and to glorify you. And Father, we we ask that this day has been that thus far and will continue to be so, and our lives in general will be a worship and a praise to your name. Uh, That we would would honor you with our lips, with our actions, with our pocketbooks, with all that we are, with our lives. Uh, That you would be lifted up and Jesus Christ would be seen. And we thank you and we praise you in his name. Amen.